Welcome to the NJ Criminal Podcast and part two in this series. Tell me, uh, tell me about what happened with you and Stanford. <laughs> That's, you know, you know the way the newspaper business is. You're writing a story about somebody, you're obligated to call them up. And, and I was writing a lot about the Stanford organization, so I would call him up. I, he had a food distribution center, Continental Foods, uh, down in southwest Philly, off of Grace Ferry Avenue. So, you know, I would call him up and say, this is Anastasia with the Inquirer, I want to talk to Stanford. Boom, they hang up the phone. And apparently, he got pissed off about this. He got pissed off about the stories I was writing. Now, you, you have to remember, he's Sicilian. He's born and raised in Sicily. He was an adult in Sicily before he came here. And in Sicily... If you're not with them, you're again. They kill prosecutors, they kill judges, they kill reporters. So he got pissed off and he told one of these guys, find out where Anastasia lives, get some hand grenades and throw them in the window. Right? Now, thank God it never happens. I'm sitting here talking to you, it didn't happen. But after Stanford gets convicted along with a bunch of these guys, the guy who was supposed to do that, a kid named Sergio Battaglia, he starts cooperating because he's looking at 30 years. And I get a call from prison, a collect call from prison. And I always accepted the collect calls because you never know who was coming in. This is at my office in Cherry Hill. And it's Sergio Battaglia. And he says, look, I want to let you know uh, I'm cooperating and there's some, some stuff going to come out about you. And he proceeds to tell me the story. And he says to me, boy, it was nothing personal. I said, <laughs> Sergio, you know, I, I got a wife and two kids. Hand grenade comes through my window. It, it's very personal. Right. He said, well, by the time we got the grenades, we were so caught up in the war with Joey Merlino that we stopped looking for you. Now, it was, again, we can laugh about it now, but it, it was an aberration. Stanford was, had that Sicilian mentality. You know, Scarfo never liked me, but I don't think he would put a hit on me. Mm-hmm. Bruno tolerated me. You know, the other guys, they, I just come with the territory. It's just the media is part of what you've got to deal with. But for Stanford, it was a whole different mindset. And I think that's why, that's the only reason that happened. And thank God it didn't happen. But, you know, it, it's... It's one of those things. Again, it gives. I guess it gives me a little more cachet in terms of the world that I'm writing about. But uh, at the end of the day, it's it, it was, as I said, an aberration. People, uh, you know, they flip. They they end up telling you their story. Ron Previty being a prime right. example. Did you right. ever uh, create relationships prior to uh, one of these wise guys cooperating and get kind of inside info? Uh, before yeah, that, I, or was it always after the fact? No, no, I had a, I had a good situation during the Merlino era, after after the Stanford War, when Merlino's guys took over. It was a it was a strange thing. They were the young kids. They they, they under Scarfo. Now they were in their late twenties, early thirties, and they had a street corner mentality. So, what happened was, they, I'm working at the Inquirer, and they, I, I worked in the office in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And there was a young woman who was an intern, and she was from South Philly. She grew up with these guys, and she knew a lot of them. And they used to bitch and moan to her about Anastasia. He only writes what the cops tell him, blah, 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 blah. And so I said to her, look, I said, I'm only as good as my sources of information. Tell these guys to give me a call. So one of the guys calls me up, and he starts bitching and moaning about what I'm writing and blah, blah, blah. And I say, look, all right, here's, here's an example. I'm work, I even forgot what it was. I'm working on this story, and I'm being told ABC. And he says, screw it, it's really X, Y, Z. And so, you know, I, I say, okay, let me, let me check it out. So I, I ask around, and, you know, the guy might be telling me the truth. There's certainly a, a, a 
could be. So I write a story saying, according to law enforcement, ABC, however, according to one underworld source, it's XYZ. And it was like a, a freaking light went off in the guy's head. It was like access to the media. It, it's politicians. You mm-hmm. can spin. And they they wanted to have their story out there. It was it was more a corner boy attitude than a than a mafia attitude. It was they're from South Philly. They don't ever let anybody else get the final word. They won't have so they say here's the media. Here's a way to use this guy to tell our side of the story. And and basically the thumb on knows it. And so a relationship developed out of that. Now I would have drinks or lunch or a meal with these guys sometime and talk about stuff. And they would never tell me, oh, you know we're going to whack somebody, but I would tell them what I'm hearing and they would hint at this, that, and the other thing. And it was, it was a way to develop sources. And, and for a period of time in that era, the Molino era, I had guys, cell phone numbers. I was able to sit down with guys. I could get in touch with guys. Um, and, and that was a unique situation that I didn't exist before. And, and it didn't exist, uh, after, after they all went away to jail. But I think it was more a reflection of their personalities. It's you don't let anybody have the last word. Here's the way we can get our story out there. Now the older guys, Bruno wouldn't even give a shit about. It. He didn't care about getting his story out there. The older guys were smart enough to realize it doesn't mean anything. You know, why do you want to have the last word in the media? What does that do for you? Nothing. You know, Angelo Bruno. The idea was make money, not headlines. Stay in the shadows. Who cares? Nobody needs to know anything about me. But these second, third generation guys from South Philly, they were, you know, it's, you ever see that movie, the the HBO series Entourage? Yep. Remember that series? Yep. Well, these guys were the mob version of that. Mm-hmm. They would go clubbing, there would be seven or eight of them, everybody would be up buzzing, oh, they're in the room, you know. That's, you know, they, they liked the glamour and the attention and the, and the celebrity that, that came with being a gangster. What's the point of being a gangster if nobody knows who you are? And we in the media were able to to create that image for them. I, you know, as I said, older guys wouldn't even want it. But so I benefited from that, and I just I had to be careful that I wasn't being used. You know. Well, but, right. I mean, you, you know, you're a well-respected journalist, and obviously part of your responsibility is to ensure that your reporting is objective and factual. I'm curious, did uh, law enforcement ever uh, question you about who your sources were, or try to try to get info and? Break through that uh, First Amendment, or not really? No, no. I, I think the feds, the feds were pissed off sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's funny because you had more info than they did, probably. Well, it, it's with with the state police and with the Philadelphia Police Department, it, it, you have a better relationship. I think they get what's going on. The, mm-hmm. the feds have this attitude that if if we don't say it, it's not, it, it can't be out there. If we don't tell you, the public shouldn't know this because we're we're we. You know, we control the flow of information. And that's where I would buck heads with some of those guys. It's not, you know, I don't need your permission to write this story. I'm telling you, here's what I'm writing. You don't have to like it. You don't have to comment. But, you know, here's what I'm writing. And they would get pissed off about that. And, yeah, and they would, I think they would try to figure out where I was getting some of it. But, you know, it is what it is. I mean, when you do this long enough, and, again, come back to what I said before, I was fortunate to work for the Inquirer at a time when it had a lot of resources a lot of staff, and I could go a week and a half, two weeks without writing anything, and nobody would. Yeah, okay, you're working on something. Fine, take your time, do what you got to do. Because well, they, when Today, they knew it came out, it was going to be good stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's not. Yeah, it's right now in the media. You, they don't have that luxury. They don't have. It's a 24-hour news cycle, and 
They don't have to, people don't realize good journalism is labor intensive. It really is. And mm-hmm. if you can't take the time to develop sources and develop stories, then you're going to, all you're going to be doing is, is, you know, writing the box score. It's not, it, mm-hmm. you lose the in-depth thing. And that's, that's unfortunate. That's a whole nother situ- yeah. um, situation. Talk to me about like revenue stream, revenue stream of, uh, you know, the Bruno, uh, Scarfo, Stanford uh, era versus now. Is that part and parcel of the... Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... He, <laughs> I never really, when I sat down with Nick Caramondi to, to write the book about him called Blood and Honor is when I first really grasped the the income mechanism of organized crime. And I mean, drugs is a big money maker, but it creates a lot of problems and, and a lot of law enforcement. But in those days, Caramondi said to me once, there's nothing better than shark money. I said, well, what do you mean shark? Loan shark money. I said, well, what do you mean, Nick? He says, well, he says, we got bookmakers, we got loan sharks. And he said, our customers are degenerate gamblers. They have to gamble. And so you get a guy who's gambling, he's gambling, and he's losing. Now he's $10,000 in debt. And we say to him, you can't bet anymore till you satisfy his debt. But this loan shark over here will loan you the money. You pay us off and you can continue betting. So, so he said, the loan shark's with us, the bookmaker's with us. So the guy takes a $10,000 loan from the loan shark at three points for 10 weeks. I said, what does that mean, Nick? He said, I said, he said three points on 10000 is $300. 10 weeks is $3,000. So at the end of 10 weeks, he will have paid 3000 in interest to us and still owe us the 10000 Now, if you can pay off the nut, that's fine. He said, at the end of a year, that guy will have spent 15600 in interest, still owe us the ten. And we've taken the fifteen six and put it on the street at three points for 10 weeks. He said, that's the economy of organized crime. That's the way you make big money. And he said, people don't complain because people who borrow money from us have nowhere else to get the money. So it's not only gamblers, somebody in a business, they're jammed up, the bank won't lend the money, they come to us. It's, he said, that's where the money is. He said, it's a very quiet way to make money. And he called it almost a legitimate way to make money. He said, we're not that much different than credit cards. I was just going to say, was, it's not much of a different yeah. rate than some of these credit cards. Yeah, but that would, you know, that's the cash flow. And the smart guys were into bookmaking and gambling and, and loan sharking. That's the, it was a steady stream of income. And he said, guys who bet with us, they got to pay. If they don't pay, we'll break their lights. You know, I mean, so it was an economy that worked. Now, what you got now with the casinos, with sports betting, with online betting, it's really eaten away at that, that market for the wise guys. And so that's one of the reasons I think you see some guys drifting into drugs that wouldn't have done that maybe 10 years ago, because there's money in drugs no matter what. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the one big case pending in Philadelphia right now is a, is a drug case. There was a, a case in Jersey three or four years ago, mob case, it was drugs. Um, you know, they get into the methamphetamines, they get into the, the pills, all of that stuff. Yeah, there's been a couple money. mortgage fraud cases recently. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's there, the other thing that uh, surfaced for a while, and I think it's still out there, is a uh, uh, compound creams for pain. Mm-hmm. pain maintenance. Mm-hmm. They, Joey Molino for a while was in, into that down in Florida, but he tap danced away from that case. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're always looking for ways to make money, always looking for ways. But the tr- traditional gambling, bookmaking, loan sharking, that used to be the nut around which everything else spun, and that's been. It's still there, mm-hmm. but because of the casinos and online, it's not as 
as lucrative. So you got guys out there scrambling consequently. They're looking for ways to make money. You still stay in touch with Joey Merlino? Not too. I mean, I used to be, uh, but no, not recently. He's, he's down in Florida, and uh, he's trying to think to stay out of the limelight. But he, he comes up here. Every time he comes up here, there's a big buzz. Joey's in, in Philly. Joey's yeah, I saw this. that Joey's a few weeks ago. Yeah. A few months ago, rather. A few months ago. Yeah. I mean, he's a he's a the celebrity gangster. He's the if you think about it, he's the face of the Philadelphia mob, for mm-hmm. good or for bad. I mean, that's he's emerged as the guy, and it, it, it's kind of the John Gotti of Pashunk Avenue. You know, Philadelphia didn't always have the the celebrity guys. Joey uh, was uh, unique in that sense. He wasn't afraid of the media. He kind of liked the media. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned. There is more to come. And don't forget to subscribe anywhere you listen.